Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. Travel was one of the first sectors to feel the impact of the pandemic last year and arguably one of the hardest hit. No one knows this better than Doug Parker, the chairman and CEO of American Airlines. Last year, as borders closed and cities went into lockdown, American was forced to cancel around 40% of its flights per day. And one of its most prominent stakeholders, Warren Buffett, jumped ship. Things got so bad that the federal government stepped in, bailing out the airline industry to the tune of $54 billion. That's a lot of little bags of peanuts. But now air travel is back, which has created a whole new set of challenges. American Airlines said it canceled hundreds of flights over the weekend. Passengers gone wild at 40,000 feet, fights over face coverings, leading to major crackdowns. This as the more contagious Delta variant spreads across the country. Some concerned about their summer travel plans. So I wanted to talk to Parker about the havoc that the pandemic has wrought and what he sees in the future for air travel. Hi, Doug. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Karen. Happy to be here. Let's talk about, um, in the recent earnings report, American announced that it's finally back to profitability. A tiny profit of $19 million for the quarter, but that includes a $1.4 billion of government assistance. Without the aid, you were actually in the red with a net loss of $1.1 billion. Southwest and Delta are in similar positions, uh, though with smaller net losses. So how are you assessing the current state of your airline? Yeah, well, um, it's we've got a lot of momentum. As 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 bad as those numbers are, they're so much better than they were, you know, a quarter ago. Um, we lost over three billion dollars in the first quarter, and um, so while we're not happy about losing a billion dollars, it's a lot better than we were. Our revenues in the second quarter were up eighty-seven percent versus the first quarter. So um, anyway, it, it, the momentum is there. There's enormous pent-up demand for travel. Uh, people are flying, and um, as they return to the skies, we're ready. And uh, those those losses will turn to profits before too long. I'm certain of that. And um, so we're actually we're really excited about what lies ahead. So, but we're also seeing a rise in the cases of the Delta variant. You know, I probably pretty relieved it's not called uh, the American Airlines variant. It's called the Delta <laughs> variant. But um, how how worried are you about the possibility of another major lockdown of cities in the U.S.? Well, if, if it happens, we're prepared for it. I mean, again, this is we we. What we've proven through this um, and what our team has proven is how resilient they are. So, so far, we've seen no change in our bookings. Um, indeed, they continue to increase from day to day. That doesn't mean that they will stay that way, of course. And should they trail back for a little bit, um, we'll respond. Um, I, I mean, my guess is we'll respond by still flying as much as we were flying before, but we'll not do as well as we had hoped. Uh, that's okay. We're prepared for that. How do you plan for that? Because obviously people didn't know a lot about COVID at the beginning, back in early 2020. Uh, but now we have some knowledge. So how do you look at this differently, if at all? Because of the situation on the aircraft today, it doesn't change much for us other than it may have an impact on demand for air travel. On the airplane, as you'll see when you fly again, everyone is required to wear a mask. It's a federal mandate. And uh, because of the way the air flows uh, within an airliner, something we have all learned and educated customers on through this pandemic with a mask on sitting next to someone on an airplane 
Delta variant or not, uh, you're safer than you are, you know, in a, in a grocery store or in a restaurant because of the way the air flows. So, like I say, it may have some impact on demand for our product, but it's not going to have it. It won't dramatically change um, what we do. When you see companies like Apple and Google change back to work dates to mid-October, how do you react to that? Oh, I, 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 you know, it's certainly having an impact on business travel. I think that's having as much an impact on why business isn't traveling as anything is that large companies in, still haven't brought their teams back to the office. So as those get pushed back, our recovery gets pushed back, but modestly. A year from now, I don't expect we'll be talking about any of these things. People will be back to work. People will be traveling. And that's where we're looking. Back in March, American was part of a group of airlines that were pushing the White House to lift international travel restrictions. Right now, there are restrictions on travel from China, the European area, the UK, Ireland, and others for entering the U.S. The White House recently said they intend to keep those restrictions in place for now. Was that a disappointment? Talk a little bit about what airlines need from the White House and the government on this issue. Well, it's a disappointment, yes. Because again, as I said, there's huge pent-up demand. We, that's what we just continue to hear from our particularly business customers is when can we start flying internationally? It's important for business. It's important for international commerce. The folly of the situation right now is those restrictions were put in place back in March of 2020 when the President of the United States at that time decided to go on national TV and announce that, you know, that we're going to be tough on this virus and we're not going to let it come to the United States. We're going to do that by, by not letting people from Europe come to the United States. But if you happen to, you know, we had a consultant come in. Uh, she's from Munich. She, in order to get to the United States, flew to Cancun for two weeks and then she was allowed dinner. She was a lot safer in Munich than she was in Cancun. But that's what we're doing. It doesn't, it, so that, that's been our point to the administration is let's do this. Let's go back to science. Uh, let's start opening countries that have high vaccination rates, low code rates. Um, all that makes sense as I say it. The problem, and we get it, is those are relaxations of the status quo, which sends the wrong signal. And right now, I don't think the administration, CDC, Jeff Zients, who I think is brilliant, I just don't think they want to do anything that sends a signal that things are, that, that might look like it's getting better. By the way, we could do that and not send that signal, but I agree, it's a complex message. So we're fine with it. We'll wait it out. So this is an almost arbitrary restrictions is what you're saying, is either make them not arbitrary or lift them in a way that doesn't make people think, you know, the lock is off, everybody could do whatever they want. Exactly. We were making some progress, um, having really nice conversations, at least, with the administration and now with the variant um, spreading much less likely uh, that they'll do anything that could even be perceived as a relaxation of a restriction. Right. So one of the, you talk about Jeff Zients, who works for uh, President Biden on this topic. One of the things you were pushing for as a group was some kind of digital vaccine passport. Have you pushed that further for international travel? The EU is a digital health certificate or a QR code, for example. Do you think that could be a solution to this? Absolutely. And and again, we we are prepared for any of those things. There are a number of countries, the UK, um, just announced they've given up waiting on the United States and they're going to allow Americans to travel to the UK so long as you have proof of vaccination. So it's really up to the country to decide what their requirements are, but we can meet any of them. Why can't you decide? You're the CEO of a, a major company. Would American Airlines consider requiring proof of requirement of vaccination on its own if the White House doesn't? The Broadway just did. Broadway just said you can't come to see a play if you're unvaccinated. For our customers? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, even if we if we decided that was that was this something we wanted to do, that would be incredibly cumbersome to do inside the United States. Um, you know, you can do this on international flights. There's a lot of time between when the aircraft lands and when it takes off. People are, we have to check passports and things as well. It, it, would, it wouldn't be physically possible to do 
without enormous delays in the airline system. But just on top of that, again, there's in, in a world where we still have whatever it is, 40% of the United States not vaccinated for reasons only they can explain, requiring vaccinations to travel and not requiring vaccinations to do or anything else around the country isn't something we're looking to do. Right. Well, there, there's increasingly, there's more. You know, the Washington Post just required it, the vaccinated workforce, Google did. Are you thinking about that? What, you know, what we're doing there and what we've been doing from the start is putting great incentives in for our employees to be vaccinated. Anyone who's vaccinated by August 31st at American Airlines gets one day of extra vacation in 2022. Um, they get a $50 gift card. And, you know, that we think is the right way to motivate people to get vaccinated. And we're pushing that really hard. Um, so that's how we intend to do this. We certainly encourage it everywhere we can. Encourage it for our customers and our and our employees, um, but we're not putting mandates in place. Not putting mandates, so you're not France, in other words. Um, no wine for you if you do not get vaccinated. Right. Um, so <laughs> kind of, it worked. It worked. It seemed to work. So one of the things that has come back better than ever, unfortunately, is bad customer behavior. There's a different uh, viral video every day. It seems um, since the beginning of the year, the Federal Aviation Administration received around 2,500 reports of unruly passenger behavior. Around 75% of those were passengers who refusing to wear a mask. So you have to be entering into that political mess, um, which is not a political mess, but it has become one. One American Airlines flight was even delayed overnight because of a mass dispute. So how do you deal with this? You deal with it aggressively. Um, it's not acceptable. Um, and um, it's incredibly frustrating. I'm just, I'll, first of all, I'll just give you some numbers. Just what we call customer misconduct reports. We, we would get about, you know, 30 a day at American Airlines in 2019. Uh, now we're getting about 100 a day. Um, and we're flying fewer customers, of course. The severity is what really matters. I mean, in those 30 a day, most of those are, you know, people had too much to drink or didn't have their meds right or, you know, chose to smoke in the bathroom. And then, you know, those, again, those those aren't acceptable, but those but that's what it was. Now we're, now you know, the, the events you're talking about, the serious events, ones that actually require us to, to go do take action against the customer um, have increased as well. And I need to stress, by the way, this is such a small percentage of our customers. Th these things like assault, um, you know, are, are generally what require action uh, against the customer where we say you're never flying us again. Those, those events today, um, it's like one in 300,000, three or 400,000 customers. So it's a very, very small subset. Um, but we, we fly 600,000 people a day. So that's two people a day that we're having to take action against because they did something as egregious as assaulting one of our one of our employees. That can't continue. We we can't let it continue. Um, it's incredibly frustrating to me because we've worked so hard to make sure it doesn't continue. Uh, and we have been for months, but it still is happening, which I can't, which I don't fully understand. We haven't restored alcohol to the American Airlines uh, flights uh, for this reason. Um, we have it tied to September 13th when the federal mask mandate is scheduled to expire. Um, and that's when we say we'll return um, alcohol because we don't, we don't think we need that added to the environment. The FAA has been, has been very supportive and aggressive. Uh, Steve Dixon has, has been out there uh, very publicly letting it be known that they're going to they're gonna make sure that people are fine to the extent they can. I mean, we've certainly let our team know we have their backs. We are not, you know, the customer isn't always right. Um, if anyone does something like this on an American Airlines airplane, they're not going to fly American Airlines again. But despite all those um, deterrence uh, to this type of behavior, they still continue. And and we've got to get it fixed. We've taken a couple more steps of late. Um, we've changed our announcement. 
um, to to be more forceful um, and more certain. And to note, by the way, it's also a federal offense to have your own alcohol on board, which we're seeing more and more of. What is the answer? You know, I don't know what you tell your flight attendants to say, but what's your answer to these arguments when they're talking about it being liberty? I just say, when people say that to me, I'm like, oh, shut up. Like, stop it. <laughs> That's not what we tell our flight attendants <laughs> to say. You should um, not hire me as one because I'd be like, <laughs> I will put that mask prob- on probably you. Wouldn't, probably wouldn't care. What, what do you say? Um, but no, look, they, they are, are, well, first off, our flight attendants are, are, phenomenal at de-escalating situations. Um, and that's what they're, they're trained to do. They're good at it. And also why, again, this is only such a small percentage of, of, of the flights this happens. Um, but um, so they know that. The other, what we also tell them is know that the company is with you. Do whatever you need to do uh, to ensure that, that, that our other customers and you are safe. And again, they know exactly how to do this. Uh, they go tell the captain. The captain puts the airplane down if necessary. Uh, we we get the customer off. We get the customer to law enforcement. We prosecute. Um, and we make sure they never fly American again. The other customers, by the way, are really helpful in this. All, the, all these videos, um, as horrific as they are, virtually every one of them has all the other customers cheering as, as, the, as the other customers taken off. And and that's what we really need. Uh, we need we need some civility. Uh, and we need people actually thanking um, people like gate agents and flight attendants that are out there in this environment, um, taking care of customers, making sure we're all safe, making sure we get um, from point A to point B safely. They're doing incredibly important work. They're doing it incredibly well. Um, a small subset of people is making it harder for them, and we're going to make it harder for those people to ever fly again. Since the beginning of June, American Airlines has canceled around 3% of the flights because of pilot and staff shortages. You were the only major commercial carrier that furloughed pilots, about 1,600 of them. How do you think about that now? Yeah, um, yeah, we did We did have some growth issues in June, as you know. The issue there is, is you know, we grew the airline 45% in three months. And, you know, maybe we should have grown 43%. Um, because, yeah, we, we, we did get ourselves uh, to where we had a situation with our pilots, for example, uh, where we just didn't have them out of training as quickly as we thought they would be and they weren't available to fly. Um, that's a very, very small percentage of them, but it doesn't take many. Uh, as soon as we saw it, we did the right thing, which was which was pre-cancel flights um, out a month in advance and then take care of all the customers rather than having them show up to the airport and have that happen. So the industry's $54 billion bailout uh, was supposed to help prevent some headache with hiring and ramping up and keeping jobs in place. The idea was that the airlines would be ready to hit the ground running when travel came back. Uh, you played a very prominent role in lobbying Congress for aid. This money could have gone to restaurants, small businesses, hotels. I've interviewed a lot of people who said that. Um, plenty of sectors were just as impacted but didn't receive nearly as much money. So I want you to sort of make the picture of why airlines should have gotten this special treatment. Yeah, um, I'm happy to. And, and, and in short, um, what I'll tell you is had we not gotten it, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't see anything close to the level of flying we have today. So anyway, the story goes like this. Demand for air travel, of course, dropped to virtually nothing. And um, what we lobbied for um, successfully was to not just give us money, not do like a traditional kind of like the bank bailout. What we came up with was a plan that said, give us money to pay our people. Um, it's, it's a jobs program as much as it was um, money for the companies. That $54 billion uh, was given to airlines in exchange for not doing any furloughs. Um, not involuntarily separating anyone from the company. And by doing so, it kept an infrastructure in place that would have absolutely gone away. Um, had we not done this, first off, had it just been loans to the, to the industry, um, the right thing to do 
for a company and for its shareholders. When you have the kind of capital intensiveness we have, and you have your revenues at 10% of what they used to be, the right thing to do is simply shut your company down. Um, put all the airplanes on the ground, furlough everyone, get out of every possible expense you can. There would have been no airline industry for I don't know how long, because now you have to make a decision is, well, when is demand strong enough that it actually makes sense to start all of that back up? Well, now, you've been around 30 years. There have yeah. been airline bankruptcies and airlines keep flying. And let me read, you, you've read this, I'm sure. Andrew Ross Sorkin wrote, we socialized the airline industry's losses and largely privatized the gains. The bad news is it also likely the taxpayers massively overpaid. The original grant of $25 billion in April meant that each of the 75,000 jobs saved cost the equivalent of more than 300000 With additional round of bailout money, the price has grown. How do you answer that? Because in that case, shareholders benefit more than anybody and definitely not the American taxpayer. Yeah, no, he's, he's not correct. Um, okay, tell me why. He absolutely isn't. Um, and I've had this conversation with Andrew as well. That, again, this was about keeping infrastructure in place for what is happening today. It paid airlines to pay employees that we didn't have work for. The right business decision, absent some sort of um, incentive not to, was to furlough all those people, as painful as it was. You did furlough pilots, though, is that correct? Well, only only because it expired in October. Um, you know, you'll, you'll, you may remember that whatever we called CARES too, um, but right prior to the election, we couldn't get it extended. So it was it was uh, not until December after the election uh, was it extended again. So in that period, we and, and, and other airlines uh, did a number of furloughs, yeah, which was painful. But we got them all back um, in December, and everybody's back now. So um, look, I think it's a I think it's fantastic policy. I think other industries probably should have been availed of it. I mean, really, this, the government is better off than they would have been um, had, they, had they not given the industry this money. The reason that 70 percent in grants and 30 percent in loans is because of some analysis the Treasury Department did that said, well, if we give you this first $25 billion, here's how much um, we will save in unemployment insurance. Here's how much we'll save in, in you having them on your benefits instead of us having them on our benefits. And here's how much the U.S. government will save in moving goods and services around that we won't be able to have because you won't be here. We'll be using military aircraft for that. That, that was the 70% of $25 billion. So, Obviously, you know, there's a lot more benefit than that. So you had to agree to certain things, like you couldn't do buybacks, and you did give out warrants, but they were very small. I think um, in the case of American Airlines, the company will issue warrants that are worth about $230 million, just a fraction of the $4 billion. The taxpayers essentially gave to the carrier shareholders in the first round of bailouts. Right now, your stocks are going crazy. Your own compensation is completely stock-based, and you know you've gotten criticism for making $10 million last year. Now, it was your smallest paycheck as American Airlines CEO so far. Um, but how do you look at that? I understand that your your compensation is stock-based and that's what happens when the stock goes up. But should the American taxpayers have benefited from that too? Um, again, I think the taxpayers um, did benefit and are the primary beneficiary of this. I, I, I need to pause and and talk about how incredibly grateful we are um, for this assistance because I know what would have happened without it. And without it, you've seen the airline industry get shut down. Not a bunch of airlines file bankruptcy and keep flying. We wouldn't have flown. The people that were flying back then <laughs> needed to fly. Um, and they needed to fly for a reason, M many of those incredibly important reasons, like healthcare um, officials getting around and, and goods and services getting getting shipped around. So what the visuals around your salary, though, obviously the stock is up. The stock is up and that's the way it is because of this money and because of the return of people to airlines and things like that. How do you answer that then when you're trying to 
when you have, you know, you have Senator Cantwell complaining about whether you're delivering what they paid for, essentially. She wrote a letter to you and other airline CEOs asking about this. She was on your side during the bailout talks. How do you answer that around your salary? What do you say to people that see this? Yeah, first off, uh, Senator Cantwell is one of those people who is very supportive of this process. And She seems a little testy right now. Quote, I am concerned that at best, these airlines poorly manage marketing flights and workforce as more people are traveling. And at worst, they failed to meet the intent of taxpayer funding and prepare for the surge in national travel. Now, listening. She doesn't sound happy right at this moment. Yeah, no, I know. And, and because she works so hard to help us. But as we will, as we will write back to her, um, what you're seeing, as I just described to you, is, is, is exactly why we had to do this. So, as, as to my own compensation, yeah, look, well, you're correct that our stock is up. Um, that's because our, all of our stocks went to almost nothing at the time of the pandemic. Our stock is still, you know, two-thirds of what it was pre-pandemic uh, today. And the S&P 500 is well up versus where it was prior pandemic. So our stocks haven't done very well, nor should they. I mean, we've taken on a lot of debt. we got to we dig out of a hole. Our companies are definitely worth less than they were before, and our stocks are down as a result. Therefore, my compensation, by the way, is way down. Because I'm paid in stock, it's stock that was worth $10 million when I received it. It's now worth two-thirds of that. And look, I'm not complaining. I'm more than adequately compensated. But all things considered, what I know is um, our whole team uh, made sacrifices, and we, we all share in that. All right. So in May of last year, Warren Buffett directed Berkshire Hathaway to sell its airline holdings, including approximately 10% of American. He called the original decision to invest in airlines a mistake. And he said, quote, the world has changed for the airlines. I don't know if Americans have now changed their habits or will change their habits because of the extended period. So give me a pitch of why that was incorrect. I know one hates to disagree with Warren Buffett, but he's not always right. He was wrong about the internet. He told me the internet was a fad. He did? (laughs) Yeah, he did. Well, anyway, I'm not going to disagree with Warren Buffett because he's done so well. And he, you know, he has to make calls and no one makes every call right. But I'm going to start by telling you, you know, when they became shareholders, um, you know, Ted Wexler, who works for Warren, came and told me that they were acquiring American shares, wanted me to know. And um, it was, it's a big deal for them because they'd been out of airlines for so long. And Warren had made statements about how incredibly stupid it was to invest in airlines. And here they were investing again. It was a big deal for them. And the statement that gave me was, you know, one of Warren's is you get the shareholders you deserve. So when they got out, that phrase resonated in my mind again. We get the shareholders we deserve. And we don't deserve them right now. They like to buy and hold and long-term buys. And they bought on this view that the industry had gotten itself stabilized. They could hold it for 50 years and make money off it. And this proved to them, I think, (laughs) that it's still more volatile than they thought. And that's not the world they want to play in. So, Far be it from us to tell them they're wrong about that. What I can tell you right now is we are really bullish on American Airlines and our future. I feel extremely good about where we are. Okay, so forget Warren Buffett. (laughs) We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Doug Parker after the break. As a global leader in experiential education, Drexel University encourages students to both gain knowledge and find new ways to turn that knowledge into action. Drexel is proud to be one of 39 private institutions in the nation to achieve recognition by the Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education as an R1 research institution, affirming this Philadelphia University's commitment to discovery and innovation. 
Experience what education can be at drexel.edu. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say that <laughs> should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. Okay, so all businesses have to change, you know, and move with the times. Where do you see the future is? Because going back to normal, there is no such thing anymore. I think about movie theaters where, let me outline movie theaters, bad customer experience, bad food, waiting in lines. It feels a little airline-y. What do you change about <laughs> airlines one of the nice things, I guess, of this horrific time is it, did, it it allows us all to basically shut down airlines like American, the largest airline in the world, and then build back what makes sense. So as it, as it relates to the future, one, we're going to have partnerships with airlines like JetBlue in Alaska to get more people to more places around the world, which is incredibly important to them. But as it relates to the product itself, much more focus on services that customers are willing to pay for in addition to just getting from point A to point B. Um, and you're going to see more and more of that as we come out of this. Like what? Air? Well, more room. Um, okay. Boarding yeah. earlier. Um, services on the ground. You'll see product differentiation within the airplane itself. Yeah, it's interesting. It is because, you know, even though it was sort of a fail down like Virgin was, I liked it because it was different. It was much more pleasant and I would pay more for it. Um, United announced this summer it plans to buy 15 supersonic jets with a goal to start commercial flights before the end of the decade. I actually think this is a really interesting direction to go in. It could be a game changer to have half the flight time between New York and London, for example. Is there anything else sort of on the cutting edge of technology you think is critically important? In our business? Yeah, well, so much of what we do now um, gets done by the customer themselves through the app. We have some 50 million downloads of our app now. It's you have a pretty good app. You do. Your app's good. Yeah, and it needs to get better. That's what's really happening in our business. And it, it is a large change, by the way. I mean, if, if we were to go build airports now, we wouldn't have nearly as much space, ticket counter space outside security. That was for a prior time when people had to check in at the airport to get their boarding pass. And then more and more, we need to make it even easier for our customers, not just to print their boarding pass, but to know where their bag is, uh, to know exactly, you know, where they are on the terminal and to be able to, you know, if they want to change their flight, do that without having to call a reservations agent. If there's a disruption, get them, get them rebooked themselves through the app. So basics, the basics of customer service. The basics, yeah. But not supersonic jets. You don't see yourself doing those. Oh, we may. It's just, it's a, it's a ways off and we haven't, we haven't made that decision yet. Um, but that may be something we do. So one of the things I just recently interviewed CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, and he was convinced they had a big business travel business. Um, he is convinced the business travel is never going to return or rebound or be very minor. Employees will just make different decisions about which trips are actually necessary how do you look at that? He was quite adamant about that. We don't share that view. Um, we will see over time. It's coming back awfully quickly now, uh, which is encouraging. 
it's much lower than leisure, but our business, our corporate travel was 45% of where it was in 2019 in the month of June. And that's up from 22% in the month of uh, March. So in three months, it's doubled. It's still, you know, a fraction of what it was. 45% is not very high. But businesses are getting back to flying, and we watch that pretty closely. And the other thing I would note is the smaller business travels coming back even more quickly. The, you know, the, the companies that don't have large corporate offices are up, you know, to like nearly 60% of 2019 levels. So that's encouraging as well. So, But nonetheless, on the broader trend, I go back to a long time ago. Early in my career, there was a guy that ran American Airlines named Bob Crandall, who was a brilliant man. And he was being asked about a similar situation as it related to the internet of all things. And aren't you worried about how that's going to, you know, people now can actually conduct business, you know, online, you're going to, you're going to see travel go down. And Bob's immediate response was, I've been doing this a long time. And what I see is anything that makes the world smaller results in more demand for air travel. And he was absolutely right. As people could communicate more freely around the world, they eventually want to go see each other. I don't think Zoom's going to go away, but I think Zoom will actually result in people being, making it easier for a first contact and result eventually in even more air travel. So anyway, we certainly don't see it yet. Yeah, there is some Zoom fatigue for sure for everybody, I think. Um, although I think about this podcast itself, it works better not in person. I used to do them all in person and now I'm just not going to. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to avoid intimacy with you, Doug. Um, so one of the last areas in the future of travel, the pandemic isn't the only existential factor for the industry right now. Climate change is another in terms of carbon emissions. Flying is the most damaging way to travel mile by mile. One study estimates that emissions from commercial flights could triple by 2050. American has pledged to reach net zero by then, which is pretty ambitious. So how are you going to get there and what type of technologies are you investing in? Yeah. Newer airplanes are more efficient than older airplanes. And we at American, the reason we have more debt than other airlines is because we have newer air- aircraft than others. So the, the best thing we can do right now uh, is make sure, and the best thing a customer can do is make sure that if they're flying, they're flying on a more efficient airplane instead of an older airplane. And we've done that. Um, so that's today. To get to net zero, of course, though, you need to have them not burning any car, not burning any jet fuel or have it be sustainable aviation fuel, which is where we need to go. So the true answer to getting to net zero um, is the fuel itself needs to be sustainable aviation fuel. That's the answer. Um, Too expensive now? It is expensive and, and, and it's not produced. Um, we, U.S. Airlines, burn some 20 billion gallons of fuel a year and there are like 5 million gallons of SAF being produced a year. So it's not a viable product now. Um, we're, all, we're all doing everything we can to support it by buying our share of that 5 million gallons. Um, but what really has to happen is just like happened in solar and wind, the U.S. government's got to step up and, and subsidize uh, in some way, shape, or form investment in this technology for it to really get to scale. The good news is the administration understands that. Nothing yet, but we've had great conversations with them about it. There are other things, by the way, making our air traffic control system more efficient. Uh, we got a lot of airplanes flying less efficient routings than they would if we had better technology in the air traffic control system. But the biggest thing by far is we have to get sustainable aviation fuel between now and 2050 to be a viable product that can actually um, be used for a whole 20 billion gallons of that. Yeah. So uh, sustainable aviation fuel is really the heart of it. So we'd like to finish up by talking about politics. I think it's never been a more difficult time for CEOs to manage in this era. In April, American Airlines publicly announced it would oppose restrictive voting bill in Texas, where it's based. Delta made a similar statement about voting rights bill in Georgia and came under a lot of heat for it. So tell me, what made you decide to make the statement? We did it in support of our team. I was getting emails and reached out from um, a number of our black employees in Texas, letting me know this was really concerning to them. And they'd seen other companies speak out. 
uh, wanted to know what we were going to do. And um, that matters. The other situation is on top of that, um, you know, we had uh, Ken Cheneau and Ken Frazier and some 70 other black executives send a letter to all business CEOs saying this is really important to our community and you need to get involved. So look, those are, those are important events. And, you know, I have people still, you know, writing me to tell me, stay out of politics. This is, you know, this isn't what you do. Or, you know, don't take sides in a partisan issue, to which I say, we're not taking sides in a partisan issue. We're trying to get partisan people to talk to each other, for God's sakes. Um, we, that's what we do. We bring people together. And what, I, what we see right now is that people aren't talking to each other. In response, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas said that the companies need to stay out of politics, especially when they have no idea what they're talking about. Honestly, Governor Abbott doesn't know what he's talking about. That's my response to that. But what would you say to that? I think companies should be involved in some cases in politics completely. I don't think there's a problem. You're a citizen, just like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, and particularly today, um, when, for whatever reason, um, we're so polarized around politics, and it gets really hard for us to do for commerce to work um, if we're all, you know, fighting each other instead of working together and we can actually play a role. Yeah, how difficult is it to stay that way? Because you the, earlier this year after January 6th, uh, the company announced you would pause all donations from its corporate PAC, pledging to rethink donations. The PAC has since resumed donations and has donated to at least one lawmaker who opposed election results. How do you manage this? Because a lot of people are like, oh, companies just virtue signal. Lots of companies did this. How do you manage in that political environment today? How do you make your choices? Yeah, um, again, we try not to be partisan in that regard. We contribute to um, Democrats and Republicans. And again, this is our PAC money. So this is employees of American have donated money for American that didn't go donate to politicians. We take that very seriously and we try to do what's best for American Airlines in that regard. In general, that means, you know, communities we serve, committees that are important, people that we are working with to move forward things that, that help American like sustainable aviation fuels. Government affairs are really important to American Airlines. What we do, we're a highly regulated business and we need to support individuals, some of which we may not agree with their politics. And we do it all the time. And we're going to have to keep doing that in the future. Do you think people look to businesses now to make change versus the government because the government is so hopelessly deadlocked and partisan? I mean, they have in the past. IBM was the first to do a lot of racial integration. Apple was the first to do a lot of gay and lesbian action and things like that. Is that what we've come to? Is that businesses are going to have to lead? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a corporate responsibility. Look, it's also, it's part of doing your job. Um, I mean, it really does have an impact on our business. If we're not making progress on important issues like infrastructure, uh, if we're not making progress on important issues like race, that's not good for commerce. So you can justify it from a shareholder perspective if you need to. You can justify it on just doing what's right if you need to. But I can't imagine how you just stay on the sidelines and let it stay this way and not have a view, um, particularly when, like we had, uh, people on our team reaching out and saying, no one's helping us here. Can you help? Yeah, we'll help. I have one last question. So you've headed up an airline through 9-11. I think you started 10 days before 9-11. Now a pandemic and another uh, crisis. There were rumors that you might retire. Do you have any plans to retire soon? Sorry to ask this, but it did come up. It'll be uh, 20 years, number 1st, that I've been a CEO. So, but no, I'm still doing it. I'll be doing it for a good while still. This last year has probably been as rewarding as any year in my 20 years, as, as hard as it was. The work that we did to, I believe, save an industry, um, to take care of our team, 
So look, it's been an exceptionally rewarding last year and a half. We got a lot of work ahead. I love what I'm doing. I um, plan to keep doing it for a while. But you've had enough of, of crisis, I suspect, for a little bit. <laughs> I could, I could, I could do without one until from now until the end of my career. Yeah, but if it comes, it comes. We're good at it. Okay. All right, Doug. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Kara. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Matt Kwong, and Daphne Chen. Edited by Naima Raza and Paula Schumann. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo. Fact-checking by Jordan Reed. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Lyriel Higa. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, along with a seat that only reclines halfway, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.